1: The question we always ask is, are you PNLP? After an action packed first edition a couple of weeks ago, we're about to get underway with our second and our first full podcast. We hope at the end of this you can answer the question as, yes, I am. Welcome to the Premier Non League Podcast.
2: This is the Premier Non League Podcast.
1: Joining us this week, I've got Trevor, we've got Pete and we've got Johnny, Lee and Ian are unavailable, which you'll probably see over the course of the season, just for our personal commitment. Um, Ian is helping fight the world against COVID right now as he's volunteering at a test centre, which is great to see. So, Ian unfortunately hasn't been able to join us tonight. But gentlemen, how are we doing? It's good to be back for our first full episode. Great to be back.
0: Yeah, all good. All good. seen plenty of football in the last seven days since we last got together.
3: Yeah, same here.
2: Um every time I see you on Facebook or Twitter, you seem to be off, off in the car going to some other game somewhere in the, in the UK. Well,
0: do you know what? I've had so long where I haven't been able to get to football for quite a number of years, and now my personal circumstances have changed. I'm making the most of it. Um, you know, what with the restrictions that could change at any minute. Uh, you know, me and one of my mates who I Zoom with on a Sunday evening normally Um, We're getting in as many games as we can. Tuesday, Saturday if there's a Friday, just in case it all goes a bit
1: peak-tongue again. Love it. (laughs) To be honest, if you don't wake up on Facebook on a Saturday or a Tuesday, and see Trevor with his little uh, selfie in his car, about to go on another uh, non-league okay. adventure. It's not the day's not complete, to be honest. So I, I wonder if I, will I be in that selfie tomorrow night when we go to uh, Lewis? Mate, we can have a joint selfie tomorrow. Socially distance, far. of course. Cool, well, um, chaps, So the season is well and truly underway now. Um, myself and Pete have uh, been on, and Trevor, I guess, as well. We, we've been very lucky as Worming fans to see the team with their first two league wins, putting us in third on goal difference. Um, unfortunately, an exit the FA. Out, which we'll touch on later on. Um, Johnny, Horsham.
2: Just looked a little bit void of ideas in our first two league games. We played really, really well, albeit against a, um, a not very good Kingstonian side at the moment in the FA Cup. We, uh, we beat them with 10 men, 2-1. Drew, 1-1 at Leatherhead on the first day of the season. Lost 2-1 against um, uh, Chesson last uh yeah, yeah, um, on, on saturday we've got bogner tomorrow night so we're hoping um we're hoping to get three points against them Please uh, do. a very good team as we discussed last week or a couple of weeks ago um it's uh we, we just haven't been able to break down uh, the teams that we've played against so far so just uh, a little bit frustrating but hopefully we can turn it around
1: well i know obviously um we we talked last a like, couple of weeks ago for our introduction episode, and we sort of talked off air as well. You know, I'm I'm surprised with the the Horsham signings they've done. They've got some good names in, and some you know spent a bit of money this summer in terms of you know wages and stuff. It is a surprising start, but we can't get too carried away. It's only two games into the season. There hasn't been much. Of, well, we've had a longer break. It's been a very weird preseason starting later. Do you think it's just a little bump in the road, or are alarm bells ringing yet? No, I think it's a very much a bump in the road. I think it's, uh, I mean, as you said, I mean, we've
2: made uh, a huge amount of signings over the summer. Um, uh, there's a, there's at least sort of one player in every position that we brought in now, just for a little bit more uh, strength and depth. Um, so I think it's just a case of gelling a little bit more. I think come come the start of October, I think we should be uh, firing all citizens. I mean, we had a very good pre-season, uh, played well against some higher league opposition as well. So, I think it's
1: only a couple of weeks until we start hitting some form. No, I think I think there'll be a lot of teams up the top of the Ismian Premier this season. So coming up on today's episode, or whenever you're listening, I shouldn't say today, tonight, it's, it could be whatever time of the day, uh, depending on what time you've tuned in, we've got uh, a fantastic lineup for our very first episode. Um, Ashley Williams, Wales captain, has joined us. Uh, headless for town 's original he started his career off, and Trevor met him during a week. Trevor, what was it like you know you know for our first episode, being able to interview someone so such with high esteem must have been amazing for you
0: uh, in fact yeah it 's always good to talk to a player that 's played in the Premier League but 's had his grounding in in non league football um, as you guys know a little bit i I do spend a bit of time interviewing managers players as I have done over the summer um, to me it's a you know it's a really nice thing to be able to do to sort of pick their brains and go back through even some some parts of their career you sort of look through and you think they're not going to remember a story about that and then bang here that you know there they go and they come out with one um you know guy that's played at the top level mostly remember for his time at Swansea he's captained his country got Wales to the semi-finals of the Euros in 2016 he's actually without a club at the moment um And he's, you know, as as you listen to the interview as well, you'll hear that he's a little bit undecided about whether he goes back to playing for another year or two or he hangs his boots up and that's it for him.
1: No, it's um, it was a very interesting interview. I've I've loved listening back to it, and you know, we're going to look forward to bring it to you as well. Trevor has been busy because he's also interviewed Mark Nuttisier, the brother of Matt, but he's also the chairman of uh, Guernsey FC, who've mothballed their season. We'll touch on the mothballing later on, but you know, another fascinating interview coming up. Uh, will talk to our Northern correspondent who now now christened him, Ronnie from the Mariners podcast who will update us on the Northern Premier League and we'll just chat about what's gone in in our little lives over summer, the football, what we've seen over the past couple of weeks. I know Pete's been very busy in the pre-season going to every uh, away, well it has to be away for Worthing at the moment as the pitch isn't allowed to be played on right now. Um, Pete, you've had a very busy pre-season haven't you? Yeah, it
4: has been a busy pre-season. Like you say, uh, obviously. The fans were locked out, so I was in a privileged position to be commentating, so I could actually you know, go to the games and commentate on them, which was, which was good for me, but obviously not great for everybody. Uh, there was a few people that offered to be a co-commentator, so you might remember I'd done a, I'd done a draw to, to decide who would be co-commentator <laughs> that day. FA was
1: Cup a... style, wasn't it? Sorry? FA Cup style, wasn't it?
4: Very FA Cup style. And somebody didn't mind. I said you could have done it out of a proper hat rather than an envelope. But there you go. Um, So, yeah, so that, you know, we managed to take one lucky fan to be co-commentator because you couldn't make it. Um, So, yeah, it it, it has been busy. But I'm just glad that, you know, the season's up and running. How long it'll last, as Trevor said earlier, we don't know. Um, But so I think the the case is get get as many uh, games as, as we can i am also doing a bit of, done a bit of ground in as well. I've managed to get to a couple of grounds that I haven't been to before as well. So that's, that's nice. Yeah, and I did notice that. Because I don't have to commentate.
1: <laughs> yeah, I did notice that. After we had our last pre-season friendly at Met Police, which was sort of a disappointing ending to that game, uh, Pete left because he was driving. He drove a couple of people along. About half an hour later, I'm, I'm just having a pint in the bar with the management at Worthing. And uh, I see Pete's tagged himself at Cobham for an FA Cup qualifier game. I'm like, this man doesn't stop here.
4: Yeah, it was just a case of on the way home, and and we saw Cobham were playing three bridges in the FA Cup, so um, we went, why not? not? Um, We got there 20 20 past three, Um, well, you can either look at it fortunately or unfortunately, unfortunately a player got injured very early on with a head injury, and there's a very long stoppage, so we only literally missed about three or four minutes of the game, (laughs) so so fortunate for us, unfortunate for a player.
1: And I thought that was quite funny coming in from the Met Police game, which I commentated on with yourself. And uh, their social distancing on their seats for anyone that hasn't been to Met Police or might be listening. Bearing in mind, it is the Metropolitan Police. It's linked with the club. They had crime scene tapes uh, to aid out their social distancing so every two three seats have police crime scene do not cross and i i thought that was just brilliant i mean i don't know if it's a bit tongue-in-cheek but they probably got an excess of this tape everywhere they go and to have that what, what i don't know i think they should make a bigger deal out of it because i thought that was brilliant i know you did pete as well
4: yeah yeah it was funny it was funny along with the diy they were doing
0: i think maybe what we need to do is is uh, is challenge someone out there who's listening to get along to met police get us a picture We can stick it on our Facebook
1: page, on our Twitter and, you know, let's see it. Don't worry, Trev, I've already got one. I'm that sad. I took a picture. So I'll (laughs) pop it up on our social media so people know what we're talking about. Um, But yeah, chaps, going ahead with the podcast. Looking forward to this week's episode. So going on about Ian couldn't join us tonight as he's at a COVID testing site. It is rife right now that, that is this second spike coming back. You know, people can sit here debating all day if the deaths and the cases, any sort of ratio, you know, all that we are worried about in this podcast is how it's going to affect us at step three and higher levels. Uh, with obviously the National League, North and South class themselves as elite to complete their seasons last year. It currently means that they can't have fans into the ground. Something that's been real hot in the press on the non-league paper this weekend. Gents, what do we think about having... Should they be allowed to unclassify themselves as elite to get fans back in because quite rightly they can't sustain themselves with no fans it's it's like kind anything of so johnny what, what are your views on it well
2: i think that the strangest
1: thing here is we're, we're fully aware that fans are back
2: at step three level um there and, and and below they're not back at step two and we've we've been drawn against having a water waterlooville in the next round of the FA Cup. Now, the game cannot be played at their ground because I think they're having their pitch relayed um, but we the game is now being played at Bogner now, Bogner being a step three stadium, you would imagine that we could probably get fans in. We can't, so we're not even allowed six hundred fans in at Bogner, even though it's a step three stadium because it's a um because it's a a conference, i think they're conference south um league team. Um, just because they are the technically the home team. Now, there was an issue a, a few a long, long, long way back where Farnborough uh, were drawn at home, I think, to Newcastle, to Arsenal in the FA Cup a long, long time ago. And for financial reasons, they moved their game to Queen's Park Rangers um, just to be able to get fans in, loads and loads of fans, sell out and uh, effectively just make a, a big, big payday. Ultimately, I think the the, the question has been, well, why don't we move it to Horsham, um, where you can get at least 600 fans in, make Horsham the home team, switch around. But apparently, no, the FA have said you cannot switch ground uh, for financial reasons. Uh, I think one of the the positives that we've got to take from this is, and South Shields is is one of those, South Shields is in an area at the moment of very, very high risk uh, transmission of COVID, yet they're still allowed fans at the ground. Socially distance, of course, uh, with all the precautions and measures that they're putting in place. So I think in regards to curtailing a season early, I think we're probably in a very, very good position right now where step three below is is not going to get um, curtailed early. Uh, now, obviously, if we have another full lockdown, then it gets, it's completely dependent on that. But I think the fact that we're having local lockdowns and yet football is still being played within those areas of local lockdown, I think it's a, it's a fairly good sign.
0: I think as well, bringing in sort of what we saw today as well with the FA Cup, is that the FA yet still haven't decided if we can have fans in to grounds where step two clubs are visiting. Um, you know, making that that we've only got four or five days before a game and yet we've still not got a decision, you know, definitively either way on that. These things are taking far too long to come up with the simple yes or no. You've allowed it, you know, as it is for league games. You're the FA, you run the game, start making the rules a, a little bit quicker.
1: I think one of the arguments that I had with some, some of my friends this week is, look, last weekend, you know, as, as I introduced on the first episode, I support Charlton, that's a club I supported from my old ground as a boy. They had a test event of a thousand people. The event went perfectly fine. You know, in a bigger ground like the Valley, there's plenty more space, even more so than a non-league team to spread out. Everyone behaved themselves, they could book in a little bubble, you could book in a social bubble, there was a six distance. So tell me why, you know, even League One, Two, you know, conference, they got some very nice... Grounds there. Why are we not doing it? I think the FA needs to sort this out because I think the government do as well. And I'm not going to get all political because I know I'm sure we've got all different political views on this podcast and it's not a political podcast, but the government needs to see that football in the UK is a massive, massive cultural thing. It's people's life. People live for football. And, you know, we've spoken about on other serious podcasts that we might do over the summer about how. You know, you get these fans that go to the games and they're really struggling mentally to not have that output where they have their friends, they have their team, they have their following, they have their social life at a football game. And not only that, I think I've read something today that, you know, hundreds of clubs could possibly go out of business within the next year as if it doesn't sort it out. What can we do? What can this, how can they prevent people going into game if they can all be sensible because I know for a fact Peter and I on RebelYell.live and the podcast that we do for Worthing we've stressed it so many times and yeah, there's been a couple of occasions where fans have let emotion take more of them that's going no, to be natural at this level but you know the more matches we've seen the better behaved the fans have been the more socially distance they've been in their pockets Trevor what what can we do I'll pick up on, on two
0: bits there James I went to Tunbridge Wells on the weekend for the second time this season Um, they had the maximum 300 people in there. I didn't know till after the game that there was a 300. And if you've ever been to the Colverdon Stadium, those that have been listening, there's a big concrete bank behind the top goal, which is where most people congregate. And as I said, it's the second time I've been this season as well. I think they had about 240 first FA Cup game of the season. And from where you stand in the grounds, you can look at points there and think, that really doesn't look like people are socially distanced. Everyone's there, they're too close as I walked up through half-time because I wanted to get a picture of the team board from a blog, walking in, in amongst people and, and everything and that, it was perfectly safe, perfectly fine. There were gaps between people. You know, they were at least, they were at least a metre. There may be one or two that were, weren't quite. But 300 people in there were spaced out, plenty of room. You probably could have fitted another two or 300 in there. And then today we get the National League being allowed to stream their games to fans in the clubhouse. So you can have 200 people into a clubhouse inside where the virus is supposed to spread more, yet you can't step outside into that stadium to watch a home game in the fresh air where you can be socially distanced much easier. It's the inconsistencies, I think, is what people are struggling to understand.
1: Yeah, it just doesn't make sense for that whole you can sit in your clubhouse, you can watch games. Yeah, great, they're having a streaming service that the fans can pay for, like towards, you know, towards the coppers of the club. But, you know, as everyone knows, we just want to be at a football ground watching a football game. And I really, for one, cannot see how, yes, maybe the bigger clubs up in the Premier League Championship are going to take a hit on sales because ticket sales, merchandise sales on the days they might not be able to do. But having those fans in the lower leagues, in the conference, south and north, you know, we need it it can be done we've all been to games in step three this pre-season and for the first few games and you know bar one club which I won't name because so it's not fair on them I was actually quite impressed on all of the social distancing and measures they take in thing Pete you've been to quite a few grounds on this pre-season we've already spoken about you know what are your views on do, do you think it can be pushed up to a higher level
4: I, I think definitely I've you know, um, they've done some test events. They have no problems with the test events that they've done at various places, um, including sports like cricket. They had test events and there was there's no issues. Um, there's been no evidence that anyone has caught COVID at a non-league football game, um, you know, and they've said that quite openly. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, put, put a limit on the crowds in, in, in the conference, North and South, uh, depending on their grand grading, like they've done with us, our so, uh, maximum is 600 in our, our league. Um, and to be honest, you know, I, I, look, I sit back now and I look at it and I think that, you know, if we had got promoted, we'd have no football to watch. You know, so so in in, in a way, sort of the null and void is a bit of a blessing in disguise so far this season with, you know, the way it's being handled, I, I think you know, it, it's not great for the clubs. They've got no income at all coming in. Um, and, and clubs, clubs will go under. Because, um, it will take them months and months and months to recover. And, you know, they might get to the point where they're going to look at it and go, we probably won't recover. And then have I to f- hold all, all things, you know, things to that effect.
1: I think, to be honest, we look at it, and you know, moving on to, to that sort of, what happens if steps one and two don't complete their season, but yet step three can? Worthing, for example, we've got a great bunch of players that we've said that have stuck together. They, they could have probably gone to other clubs, maybe higher up, but they wanted to try and finish the job. So we get that this year and say Worthing win the league, but then we can't be promoted. What happens then? What happens then? I don't think that's fair. Yeah, we might be champions. Yeah, we lift the trophy. But the whole point of being champs is to lift the trophy and get promoted to a higher league and challenge yourself at a higher level. You know, that's like playing Sunday League, You're know, winning a trophy, winning a league. You're not going to get promoted unless you know, you're know you in a division or a pyramid system. So, you know, they need to really get this worked out and they need to set put a plan in place because I do think this season will be dragged out. I think we'll find ourselves possibly games postponed as we already are seeing throughout the league system. You know, we probably won't be finishing the league in May, and I think you might find Tuesday Sunday or Tuesday Saturday every week is going to be a regular thing from now on. But what's going to happen? You know, we, we can't you can't just live and breathe football like that and just have no goal at the end.
0: I think as well, James, on your point, there is um, clubs disappearing is then going to create imbalances all through the season. You could find one league finishes with about 15 clubs because five have had to drop out. And then when it comes to next season's allocation of who's moving where, they're going to suddenly go to a club maybe that's finished mid-table and gone, right, you've got to take promotion to fill the gap there. And that club turns around and goes, well, we're not ready for promotion. There's no way we can cope with that. What's going to, you know, what's going to happen then? I mean, the National League have come out and said that they need three million a month for their three divisions just to get through. And they're asking the Premier League to bow them out. If they turn around and say, sorry, that's enough. You've had enough money out of us and no one else is going to step in. What happens then? We know Dover Athletic are very, very close to going under. Macclesfield, we know, have gone and their troubles have been historic. It's not just been brought on by COVID. But there are probably quite a few National League clubs sitting there thinking that if this money doesn't come through and it doesn't start by this weekend are we going to be here the week after or the week after that?
1: And that's what I guess you've got to say. You mentioned about the mothballing. I think it's a great time to lead on to the interview you took with Mark Letizia this uh, past week, where he's chairman of Guernsey FC. And he's going to talk a little bit about why they mothballed their season. I mean, I know... For example, Johnny's uh, Horsham manager Dom DePaolo, for some reason, tweeted that they should be relegated, but I don't believe that's the case. But we'll find out more from Trevor, who sat down with Mark Latissier via Zoom during the week. So enjoy, guys. The Premier Non-League Podcast.
0: Welcome, Mark Latissier, to the show. Who's the chairman of Guernsey? Guernsey obviously joined in. I think it was it 20... 11. 11. I thought so. Yeah into the uh, National League pyramid system, I suppose it should be called. Yeah. You've had a couple of promotions to get yourself up to step four now. That's um, correct, you yeah. Did, and you've, you've had a, you know, a fair bit of success to get yourself to that point as well, haven't you?
3: Yeah, it's been quite a journey uh, over the last nine years. Um, started out in the Combined Counties Division 1 and we got promoted in the first season up to the Premier League Combined Counties. The following season was... Quite a challenge, quite a lot of uh, rain that winter and our pitch spent most of the time underwater. <laughs> so it left us with a lot of games at the end of the season. I think we played something like 26 games in 52 days.
0: Yeah, I think I remember you were he- either flying here or teams were flying to so you weren't right. for a couple of days.
3: That's right, and we were playing three games over a weekend, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, for uh, five weeks. So uh, that was a challenge uh, and we managed to finish runners-up in our league. I think we lost the league by a point. And um, we were fortunate that year was when the FO were looking to increase the number of teams at Step 4 up to 24. Yeah. All teams got promoted from uh, from Step 5, and we were fortunate to be one of those teams. Uh, so that's how we got to Step 4, and we've been uh, in the Eastman League um, for the last seven years.
0: And now, of course, obviously, with the wonderful coronavirus putting the hold on absolutely everything, yourselves obviously have taken, I I believe, the correct step to mothball your season effectively. And since then, obviously, we've seen the Isle of Man and Merthyr um, have gone along the same routes for the same understandable reasons. Do you think we can expect a few more clubs to be asking exactly the same thing?
3: I think that's going to be a very difficult call for each individual club to make. Uh, but I suspect that each club will have a look at it on, it, uh, on its own merits uh, and how it affects them. But I suspect if one club in, in the UK starts to do it, I suspect that will have a snowball effect on uh, on others as well. But it, it's very fluid over there. I, I know that, and um, things are changing uh, rapidly uh, at the moment. They maybe they're going in the wrong direction, but hopefully, you know, that can
0: turn around, and um, uh, and we can. And still carry on playing football at, uh, at our level In your opinion looking at obviously what's happening in England from the outside where you are up on the island given the recent restrictions and everything what sort of direction do you think football is going to go this season are we looking at a few interruptions a stop start might we get away with it?
3: It's, it's really, it really depends on uh, people's behaviour you know, if people uh, stick to the rules uh, and clubs uh, abide by the uh, the government and FA uh, guidelines, then um, then we may find that uh, they're able to continue to play um, and hopefully see the the season all the way through. Uh, and that, that that really down is down to, uh, to people's
0: attitude towards um, what they're being asked to do. How do you think, with obviously null and void last season, where there was so few games left, and now looking at what we're potentially coming across for this season, although at the moment the DCMS seem quite happy for steps three to six to carry on. Do you think that maybe if they'd have held off on the null and void, they could have completed that at this sort of point of the season and then maybe begin the 2021 season?
3: Uh, I have to say, you know, these were unprecedented times and it was a really difficult decision for any league to have to make and uh, it was always going to affect um, clubs in different ways, depending on where they were in their league at the time. So I think it was a really difficult decision and it was always going to impact um, some people negatively, some positively and uh, I think it was impossible to make uh, the right decision for everybody. So, you know, even now I don't know
0: what the right decision would have been. And how closely obviously not being involved with needing to play any games this season now, how closely will you be watching what's going on at step four and three this year
3: oh yeah I'm, I'm still very interested in uh, in what's going on and uh, on Saturday afternoon when we didn't have a game I was sat here uh, at home and I was watching the uh, uh, the scores going through and uh, so yeah I'm still very interested in uh, in uh, in, um, in what's happening you know we made uh, made a lot of good friends within uh, in our league and uh, so uh, I'm really interested to see how things go. It's great to be able to sit back without having any pressure, about worrying, you know, what the result our result was today compared to everybody else's. So uh, it is quite nice to uh, to have
0: that. And obviously, by the time you come back to football next year, the chances are you're going to be playing maybe at, you know three or four different venues you haven't done before as well. Yeah, of course, that's uh, that's.
3: That's a great thing about the, uh, the National League system, you know, the, uh, the promotion and relegation uh, and the opportunity to go to different places and meet different people. And that's really part of, uh, of our football club as well, having I mean, that opportunity that previously that we didn't have. So, uh, you know, we'd, we'd look forward to and welcome that.
0: Reading your manager Tony's piece in the non-league paper on um, Sunday and obviously the players are still going to carry on playing, they're going to head to your seven teams that you have on the island. How does that work in terms of paying the players if that's what you do? And, you know, how how are you going to coach them? How how often do they train during the week at the moment?
3: Okay, so historically in the last nine years, they've they've trained twice a week. They train on a a Tuesday and a Thursday. With regards to paying them, nothing's going to change there. Because in the nine years, we've never paid them. (laughs) Uh, we can't afford to pay players because we're spending 150,000 pounds a year in paying for teams to come to Guernsey. So, uh, as you can imagine, that doesn't leave any uh, any spare cash to pay our players. And they they do it for the love of the game and also for the opportunity to play at, uh, at this level. That you know, if, if Guernsey wasn't around, they wouldn't have that opportunity.
0: Is Tony a bit maybe? concerned or worried that maybe one or two of his players might be tempted to clubs onto the, to the mainland to play for this season and maybe stay there?
3: Uh, no, I don't think he's concerned about that at all. I think the, uh, all the players are local anyway. So, uh, you know, they're all based on the island uh, and none of them are going to want to leave the island. You know, we're very fortunate here. We don't have any restrictions. We go about our lives uh, as normal. At the present time, we have three cases of COVID, and they've all been uh, all came in in from uh, travelling to the UK, and they're all isolated. Um, so we don't uh, we don't have any problem with COVID here at the moment, Touchwood, and hopefully that will continue. So, you know, the the players are playing in the local league. Tony and the other coaches are putting a plan together at the moment to continue to offer the coaching to the players throughout the season my understanding is that uh, the majority of the players want to continue um, some form of coaching uh, throughout this season, even though they know that uh, we won't be playing in the league. So, you know, that's encouraging. Um, going forward to next season, you know, it's a, it's a massive commitment playing for Goonies, fc the travelling that we have to do. You know, there may be one or two players that uh, say, you know, I've, I've done it for a, a number of years now. and Maybe, you know, I'm quite happy just to play in the local league from now on. You know, hopefully that's not the case because you know they're a great bunch of lads, and you know they they work really hard and they commit a lot of time to the to the club by uh, traveling away as often as they do. So uh, you know, hopefully the uh, there won't be any of them that will drop out. But you know, I, I suspect there may be one or two. But that gives you know an opportunity for some of the younger and next generation players um, to have an opportunity to play at step four uh, at an early age. So that'd
0: be great. Have you got quite a strong progression coming through youth ranks to the first team?
3: Yeah, so um, Tony's quite involved with the uh, local football association um, and they've created a pathway, so they've got academies uh, at all the different age groups and Tony works within those, so he knows the, uh, the players from a very young age. So he could see those that are coming through uh, and I know he's very excited about, uh, about some of them. Um, but um, you know we're, we we've we've built up some good relationships with some of the professional clubs as well in the UK, um, and we uh, only last season one of our players um, uh, went and, and he signed for Bristol City. So uh, and he's he's back there now, uh, and that's all part of what you know the players. If they uh, they're good enough, they'll get an opportunity. They'll you know they'll be seen, um, and through the connections that you know we now have. Uh, there is a
0: pathway And from a financial point of view From not playing this year Will that affect you massively Or will it actually be almost a little bit of a blessing in disguise?
3: Well it won't affect us financially Because a lot of our finances come from our supporters And from sponsorship Now of course we're not playing games So we're not incurring any costs So uh, so we we haven't needed to uh, to go and, um, uh, and ask our sponsors to, <laughs> for any money this season uh, because clearly we, you know we, uh, we're we not spending any money the club is uh, in the process of consulting with all of our stakeholders so the players coaches sponsors supporters uh, volunteers and we're, we're, we're going to be uh, getting their thoughts on the club and and things that we could do differently or we could do better uh, and things that we could be doing over the next nine months in the community because we do quite a lot in the community already, supporting other charities. So um, uh, we'll be uh, doing that in a couple of weeks' time. And then the, the board will put a plan together as well, what we're going to do over the next nine months rather than sit back and, and do yep. nothing. You know, we, we are part of the community uh, and we really want to, uh,
0: to be out there and be visible. And for yourself, what's the aim for Guernsey for the next, say, five to ten years? Where would you like them to be? Well...
3: Uh, you know, we the, the, the club will play whatever the level uh, the players are good enough to play at. Yeah. So um, you know the players are all local. Uh, we've had one or two non locals over the years, but you know they're they're, they're all coming through uh, the local club. So uh, wherever those players take us, that's where we'll be. Uh, as a football club, uh, what I would like to see, uh, and we're very hopeful it'll happen in the not too distant future is to have our own ground um, and um, to have our own um, uh, social club and, and bar facility so we can derive income um, that we don't at the moment and uh, if we can get to that stage and uh, I think the club in the long term will be uh, financially stable and um, that, that that's really our aim over the next five years.
0: And just to finish on, Pick out one or two of your players that are the ones to watch for for the future. Oh, um, <laughs> thanks for that.
3: <laughs> uh, we've got a few a few good young lads. Uh, young Charlton Govine, um, you know, he, he's, um, he's had quite a lot of experience with us already. He's only uh, just over 18. Uh, he's done really well. Uh, unfortunately, he's uh, had a few uh, injuries. Uh, and uh, But he's going to be certainly uh, one to uh, to have uh, for the future We're really excited uh, to, to have him We nearly lost into Bristol City And unfortunately for him uh, He suffered an injury and, uh, and had to come back to us So, uh, you know, um, who knows what will happen in the future But, um, you know, he's one that uh, we're really, uh, really pleased to, to have um, And we're, we're really um, looking forward to seeing a lot of him Brilliant. Lovely. Mark, thank you very much for your time.
0: Appreciate it this afternoon. You're welcome. Anytime. Um, and um, we'll look forward to watching what happens for you for next season.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It'll be a bit more relaxing than it normally is. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with the podcast as well.
2: R U P N L P.
1: Trevor, thank you very much for sitting down with uh, Mark TCA and really fascinating insight because it's something that. As non-league fans ourselves, we haven't had to face with the possible mothballing of our complete season. Um, I did have a little bit of Joshua with Johnny there about Dom De Paula saying they should be relegated on social media. A little bit outspoken, I was surprised, but you know we felt that with our Worthing fans last season. Johnny, what do you think about the mothballing of the season by Guernsey?
2: I, I think it's, it's it's obviously tough for them. Guernsey have closed their doors. Um, Completely, they're getting on with their lives. They're able to go out at night. They're able to go to restaurants. They do a stimmer. It's 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 obviously completely the right decision for for the Guernsey community. I mean, what I was was most shocked of is is the amount of money that they spend on player travel um, for the year, which which means that they're unable to to pay their players. And to be fair, I know Guernsey is obviously a very small island, and they probably don't have too many grassroots leagues, but. um, And, I mean, ultimately, what Mark said is he does it for the love of the game. But um, I'm I'm absolutely amazed. I think it was was £150,000 a year they spend on travel, which I just think is – absolutely incredible and to sort of think just for just to cover your own costs with travel mm-hmm. not even taking into consideration the fact that they don't get money from their own bar they don't get money from, from hospitality or anything like that obviously they're they're re- completely reliant on um on supporter funding and sponsorship and things like that i think it's just absolutely incredible hats off to them for, for doing what they've done so far and I, th- I think as well, obviously,
0: on the mothball case, we've got Murther and the Isle of Man that have obviously had to go into it as well. And obviously, I did ask Mark during the interview, you know, do you think there'll be many other cases during, you know, football of, of clubs doing that? I think it if it came to. I know the National League had a bit of a of, a, um, a bit of a mixed vote between whether they wanted to start without fans or they did want to start fans, and there was a little bit of a talk around mothballing seasons. But you can imagine it getting a little bit. Um, difficult in the National League if four or five clubs went well actually we'd like to mothball this season the other 15 play on um, five sit comfortably you know almost in the middle of the table with, with, with
1: nothing all season I think that's what he said in a non-league paper where um, Mark Letizia a couple of weeks ago he did say like you know it could be Hastings it could be a real spike in cases around coronavirus and they have to lock everything down for a couple of months so you know effectively they could mothball their season or it could be you know decided to mothball it is this something we're going to see throughout the season do you think do you think the league needs to sort of set a precedence here like okay they've already done it you know Murphy' have already done it but if clubs then decide later on the line is there going to be a cutoff when you can mothball your season or do you think they'll just play it as and when
4: I think I think they're going to have to play it as and when, aren't they? Because, like you said, the, you know, there's there's going to be spikes in certain areas without a shadow of a doubt. Um, there's there's going to be going to be lockdowns, things like that. Um, you know, sort of. You know, my feelings are that <laughs> obviously the UK was like Jersey in a way that we we said right. No one in, no one out. <laughs> I know you're disagreeing with me on that one, James, because of your job. Um, no, but
1: at the end of the day, Pete, it's like the f- problem is with that is I think it's brilliant because they've got a perfect situation. They've got an island. They can contain that virus by shutting their borders. I did, I've been, as, as you know, I, I was furloughed over the summer as a, I worked as a flight attendant for one of the airlines in the UK. And at the end of the day, I did a flight to Jersey couple of weeks ago and they have to they have a test on arrival when they arrive they have to isolate for five days waiting on that result and as long as it comes back then it's fine if i had a night stop in jersey i would not be allowed to leave the confines of my hotel so i'm kind of in a separate bus we're we're sort of taken. that bus is then disinfected and then you know moving back to the airport the problem is with Jersey, I mean, I'm surprised Jersey haven't mothballed um, this season because there's no flights going to Jersey apart from British Airways. And I think there's once a day, it's once or twice a day, occasionally, and they're all full anyway. So how are Jersey, who are obviously so close to being promoted last year, and they were in a certain situation, Worthing and, you know, South Shields and all that. How are they, how are they getting around this?
0: That in itself is a very good question. One, actually, I think, one of us is going to have to have a look
1: into to be honest because I think they played they
0: played four league games already one or four um, sitting joint 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 second I think it is second or third um at the moment um I, yeah I don't know
1: this is the answer to that one just as he throws his microphone on the floor that's how much he doesn't know I, I mean i i guess at the end of the day could they have someone that's flying a private jet i don't know could it be that you know they've got a private jet they've you know are they using the ferry service or something like that to get across it's a long old day and as mark said in that thing a lo- you have to have commitment to play for jersey because you've got a lot of long jersey. travel yeah. jersey sorry yeah, well and jersey i guess you have to have commitment because they're going to the mainland as well <laughs> um most 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 weeks every other week so you've got to have a lot of um commitment there in that respect um maybe maybe
4: maybe there's a case of you know um with jersey that you know they're getting tested whenever they you know when they go back home it could be something as simple as that
1: or or isolating as they get back to the island you know Every, every every other week though they're having to isolate i mean it's uh It's a pain. It's funny, we were saying talking about, like I said, completely unrelated to non-league. Did we see the story in the paper this weekend that I think it was Oxford United's coach got disabled because they disinfected their coach with an alcoholic uh, disinfectant (laughs) and it set off the breathalyzer that the bus driver has to do so they couldn't move from their hotel for six hours. So they all had to hire cars and taxis to get to their game. I can't remember where it was, but I thought that was brilliant. And, you know, these are the things that, yeah, okay, it's not non-league, but you can imagine it happening to a non-league club and then all hiking lifts with the fans and stuff and trying to social distance. I know Pete had um, had the pleasure of driving a green minivan. For some reason, it had to be green for Worthing players down to Folkestone. I mean, could you not have got a red bus?
4: I know. It was, oh, the, sh- the shame of it, the absolute shame of driving a minibus bogging the green to Folkestone. There's Disgusting a couple people. of the players and a few of the coaching staff. Obviously, there was only... It was only six of them in a seven-seater and myself driving. So, obviously, we were all socially distanced and adhering to the rules. And, um, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, it's a horrible thing to drive as well. <laughs> I think we <laughs> maybe
1: need to try and invest in getting some magnets and putting big in badges. At least we can stick to the outside of the bus so it makes it look less... Bognified. <laughs> Lee's not here to defend it today, so we don't care. We can, we, can say we what we
4: like, aren't we? But I was quite lucky because generally um, on away days, if Bogner and ourselves were away, we always bump into him at Clackett Lane. Well it seems that we always bump into him at Clackett Lane. Um, so as we drove up there, we were just
1: praying they weren't there. It's like, please, Bogner, don't be here, please. Never have heard the end of it, would you? <laughs> so I know that the Premier League have um, already announced a few couple of weeks ago a support fund, whereas step levels are step level one, you get 20,000, step level two, 15, step level three, 10. Uh, and so on and so forth as you go down 7, 4, and 2. Um, it's okay to use it for extra stewards, um, building repairs, modifications, toilet hire, because I know a lot of non-league grounds um, are going to struggle with toilets, as a lot of them are very small and pokey. Um, but there's certain things they're not allowed to spend it on, including decorating, commission and consultancy fees, pitch, you know, maintenance, maintenance machines. One thing that's is surprising is they can spend it on away travel, but they're not allowed to spend it on fuel. So tell me how that isn't linked because you'd have thought fuel is maybe part of the away travel, but there's also the talk of the Premier League going to add more money, especially to help this non-league situation right now. But they're saying that it shouldn't be reliant on them and the government need to step in.
0: I agree with that to a certain extent. I think they've got to the, um, you know, the government have, have helped out as many industries as they can so far to keep the economy off and get that going. And it's not just the football itself. It's all the jobs that come with it, the suppliers and People that, you know, supply, you know, print the programmes, they, you know, get the food in, they provide you a beer and everything like that. There's such a knock-on effect of a lot more than just a few football clubs disappearing. You've got the community feel to it as well. Um, the question is, though, is how big is the money pit for it all to come from? That's what you've got to answer, haven't you?
4: Yeah, and I, I you know, I don't know if you heard the interview from uh, Sean Dyche the other week, the Burnley manager, um, oh. where he said... Uh, you know, lower down the pyramid, they're sort of you know looking at the Premier League to help. And he put he put an analogy there, the the supermarket chains, if they're successful, he said they don't get asked to put their money down to the audio blocks blogs on the on the corner of the you know the the street or whatever. And he said what's what's the difference
2: with with that? So yeah, multi, you know.
1: multi, 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 multi million pound sponsorship. I mean if
2: Question. I can answer that, you don't have a Premier League without the rest of the pyramid. Yeah, Uh, that's true. We all support each other. I know we're we're rivals, um
1: on Saturdays and Tuesday evenings, but ultimately without without the football
2: pyramid you don't have a Premier
1: League. You've got it completely right there, Johnny. At the end of the day, that's maybe where the difference that Sean Dice hasn't thought of, mate. You know, it's it's a very interesting analogy of that. But it's true, you haven't without the pyramid, you haven't got the Premier League. You haven't got those players that progress, you haven't got those players that push themselves. You haven't got the players that have maybe been released from clubs and been swept up by non league to try and regain and get themselves back up to that level. I mean what I think that leads us on really nicely again with Ashley Williams who started at West Brom in the Youth Academy and moved to Hednesford for Town. Trevor spoke to him during the week and we're going to play part one of the interview now so do enjoy.
2: The Premier Non-League Podcast.
0: Ashley welcome to the Premier Non-League Podcast. Thank you very much for, uh, for joining us. Great to have someone of your stature played non-league football, played Premier League football and international football on the first show. Thanks, it's good to be here. Right, we'll start off, we'll have a a little bit of a chat about obviously your your time in non-league football, a little bit on your pro career and obviously your Wales career which had a great highlight in 2016 at the Euros, didn't it?
5: Yeah, that was a a good one to remember.
0: So originally you started at West Brom, so you were in the programme to start with, was that as an apprentice type thing?
5: Yeah, well from, uh, if I remember rightly, from when I was... 14 until when I was 16. Yeah, and then got released at 16. And that took you to Hednesford Town,
0: didn't it? From there. Yeah. In.
5: So then, so yeah, went to Hensford Town in the youth team, and at that point, it was like it was like what they do in the professionals now. So we did. Um, we went to Cannock College. Yeah. Like some afternoons, some mornings, some days, and then we train in the daytime, which was great, um, which was like a good a bit of training for for the life that I ended up living. For the, re- for the rest of my life up to now. And was
0: you going through a little bit on the, on Wikipedia, Beefeater, <laughs> a petrol station, a sideshow at Drayton Manor. What was the sideshow?
5: No, it not a sideshow. Oh, it right. Was, okay. It was uh, where, the you know, so there was two companies at Drayton Manor. Yeah. Uh, one was that operated the rides and the other one operated the games, you know, where you'd like yeah. knock down three cats or whatever you do. Yeah, well. I know what you mean, I was, yeah. I was on the games bit.
0: Ah, oh, fantastic. And obviously I suppose beef beater and working at petrol station you sort of supplemented the income you were gonna get at Hednesford.
5: Yeah, so I can't remember how much it was. It was like eighty pound uh we used to get checks, so it was, you'd get a check. Really? And then it was like if you didn't have no money, you'd take it to the quick check and get yep. like they'd take a bit of it off. So. <laughs> Yeah, then, yeah, so then get like a bit of money. But all my friends from the school that I went to, it's quite normal. I don't know if it is now, but it used to be. It was a normal progression from when you left school to go to work at Drayton Manor. Cause ah, okay. So there was like a lot of us, that, like loads and loads, that left in that year and then went straight to Drayton Manor. That was just like the thing that everyone did.
0: And obviously finding and having a job that could fit the football around it as well was probably just absolutely perfect.
5: Yeah, well, I think at Drayton, I think when I was. I'm not sure of the time scales, but when I was at Drayton Manor, I wasn't at Hensford at that point. Okay. Uh, when I was at Hensford, I did some of the other jobs, but I think Drayton Manor was just straight from school and I wasn't playing for anyone at that point. Obviously, having spent a couple of years at, you know, at West Brom, so you got the
0: taste of the of the professional side, having to drop into non-league to kind of <coughs> restart again, how much of a, did you find it a culture shock or was it you know a good grounding to start with and then this prepared you for it?
5: No, uh, it was i didn't i didn't really enjoy uh, my time at west brom and not nothing to do with the club it was just i, I felt the pressure a little bit of, of trying to make the next cut and yeah and trying to get the next contract or whatever so and i weren't really enjoying my football and then when i went to i just got a call from the manager of the of the youth team at hensford uh, i'm not sure just out of the blue i presume they look at all the people that have been released and when i went there uh, it was just it was just refreshing there was a nice bunch of lads that, we, that I still keep in touch with today um, and some of them are some of my really good friends and um, it was just it, I got the love back for football again there.
0: And obviously non League's moved on a lot in 20 years since you, since you've read it. How do you think it compares today to what it was back then when you first started out?
5: I, would, I wouldn't be able to answer it because I've not been to many games <laughs> to be honest. Um, I've been trying to get to a Stockport game for so long and then now there's no fans, yep. so can't get to it. <laughs> I, I, my knowledge of the non league currently is is limited really. I don't know too much about what it's like there or the standard or or anything really.
0: Obviously pick, pick picked up by Stockport County. Were you scouted, would you say, or did it come really out of the blue?
5: Well, the uh the cheap yeah, I was scouted for playing for Hensford. At that point I I think I was I'm not sure, maybe eighteen and I was yep. playing for the 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 reserves in the first team and then just kind of started playing for the first team at Hensford all the time. And then there was a a scout called Gil Prescott that tried to sign me for Halifax. Yeah. Then he moved to Stockport and in the in the in that gap I'd been to Oldham with um Ian Dowie was the manager. Yeah. And they wanted to sign in, it was the same thing. It was something like they wanted to pay seven grand and hencewood wanted ten or something. Right, yeah. <laughs> like like you, you can't figure this out. And then I didn't go to Oldham and then I think like a, a month later I had to go on trial at Stockport and then um for a week and then earned earned a contract off that.
0: And how did you find that the step up from where you were obviously playing part time, going back into a full time game again?
5: it was difficult at the start i remember um being like really tired and my legs were hurting for a long time and everything and just the training every single day um because when i was in the youth team at hensford it was it was every day and then the yeah. first team was tuesday and thursdays and play saturday so um it was it was difficult at the start but i loved it because it was like that's the job that everyone wants to do isn't it all, all young kids all young boys kind of want to play football every day and what what better job is that
0: yeah, everyone certainly does. You're not wrong there. Your next two clubs you had from Stockport, Swansea and Everton, are the best two you would probably remember for your playing career for. To play three hundred and nineteen games for one club though is a massive achievement for, for any player when you see how quickly players move around these days, you know, not just in the professional game, but non league as well.
5: Yeah, no, I think that, that was uh that was obviously a massive chunk of my um I was at Stockport for five years, which kind of It didn't seem as long, um, but it was five years, which is quite a long time as well in football. And then at Swansea for just off 10 years, I think. So that was like the the big part of my uh, career. And I think people always associate me in Swansea. uh, And we had such, you know, such a good 10 years as well. So, yeah. And then obviously Everton is another massive club, um, probably bigger in stature than Swansea. You know everybody knows Everton, and they've been in the Premier League for I don't know how long so yeah those two the, the the jump from Stockport to Swansea wasn't so different. I think I was ready at that point to yeah. to go to a team a little bit higher and it was only one it was one league higher, but I went in the March on loan, but we was top of the league at Swansea, so we kind of knew it was going to be a championship and move to the championship. Um in terms of the football it was a, a very different but I didn't I didn't feel at that point there after five years at Stockport I was ready to go, I feel, and I was used to the, the lifestyle of of training every day and, and what it takes to be a football player.
0: I picked out as well. Two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten as a team, you only conceded thirty seven goals. Was that the equivalent of parking the bus? Two thousand
5: nine, <laughs> two thousand and ten. I think that yeah. was a <laughs> polar sources, yeah. I think so, yeah. There's yeah. Because if it was that year, we yeah. did, lost most weeks. We yeah. one. We won a lot of games, though. We'd win them like one nil, or it'd be a nil nil. Um, because he was a very defensive uh, manager. But it was. It was. That was a really good season. You know, I loved playing for him.
0: And obviously, to play under someone like Paola, who's 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 you know played at played Portugal in the Euros, the World Cups. So he played for Juventus. he's played. I think he played Inter as well in Italy. Do you feel you can, you can learn from more from those types of managers because they've got just a different grounding away from our own game?
5: No, I think like, I've had a lot of managers across. We, we seem to t- turn over every year at Swansea at one point. But I wouldn't say I learned more from, you know, a, a, a Sosa or a Loudrop or a Koeman any more than I learned from a Chris Coleman or a Brendan Rodgers. So it, it was just different things. It was just a, the, the, the foreign ones were a little bit, they worked differently. the the, the way they set up the week and the training sessions and everything so it was just taking what you can from all the different types of managers really
0: and how how as a player like you say you had quite a turnover of managers at Swansea and obviously they all have their different ways of playing and that is it more difficult to adapt to some or do you find it's actually quite a smooth transition period through?
5: no i th- I think that it's, it's, it can be difficult at times if you if it's if I think of like when we got um Guiedlin yeah manager, that was quite difficult, and being captain, it was my job to try and smooth everything over all the time, and it was such a different way of working. The training was completely different um after i think was we had Gary Monk before uh, Guiedlin, if I remember rightly so coming from a British manager, someone that we knew and how we're used to working to something completely different was was a little bit difficult to get to get used to. But then sometimes it would work the other way, where, you know, like with Paolo Sosa, that was a little bit different as well. Um, and then we got Brendan Rogers, which was just exactly what we needed and what we wanted at that point. And it just ran so smooth and it was like a, a big boost for everyone. That's no, nothing against Paolo, but it was just a different, it, we never really got comfortable with the, the Portuguese or the Italian way of, of
2: yeah. working R-U-P-N-L-P.
1: part one of the Ashley Williams interview part two will be coming up later on the podcast I bet you anything he's glad he's not working at B right now because that eat out to help out would have killed anyone in that catering game wouldn't it chaps <laughs> I know I took full advantage of it in Worthing, support of the local uh, local restaurants did I what were your fate did you guys also eat out to help out only once where were you going where did you go into Horsham
2: Went to Gigglin' Squid in Horsham to celebrate my wife's maternity leave, and that Good was. Choice. And then the baby arrived, and then I was homebound for uh, for a few weeks.
1: I meant to say you are looking less ragged in a nicest possible way <laughs> since I spoke to you two weeks ago. How is little one?
2: Yeah, I'm getting used to it now. Uh, six hours sleep a night. It's all right. It's just broken. I'm all right with that. I've never heard anybody celebrate maternity leave. <laughs> Not a year off. It's a year's
1: worth of holiday, so she, sat, she, had, she had to celebrate it. <laughs> yeah. Fair so I guess as we've got such a big name to launch our podcast for the first episode, where was Captain Ashley Williams, Euro, Euro twenty sixteen semi finalist, Premier League footballer, um, currently without a club. One thing that stick out to me this week, chaps, is um, Wrexham seemed to have drawn attention. To Ryan Reynolds and Rob McKelney, what is going on there? Why are Hollywood A-listers interested in Wrexham? No disrespect to Wrexham, but why?
0: To be honest, mate, your guess is as as good as mine. It really is. I mean, when I I saw it come out a little bit during the week and I thought, nah, someone's having a little bit of a wind-up here. Um, And then I think it it popped up on the bottom of Sky Sports along the bottom there. And you think Hollywood... Wrexham, as you say, no disrespect to Wrexham, but there's clubs you would have thought if they were going to get involved in, they're going to be a little bit higher up the the food chain where they can really make a big difference.
4: Maybe them two stars haven't got as much money as they like to make out.
1: <laughs> all invested, all invested in something, Pete. I wondered if it was possibly. Had they filmed in that area for one of their films before? Maybe gone to see the game or seen the club? Could it have been something to do with that possibly? Because it does seem so random.
2: Yeah. I mean, do, do, do they realise what they're investing in? I mean,
1: <laughs> Premier League. But they don't realise it's the
2: non-league Premier League. <laughs> um, I think we're going to have a little bit of a, a struggle trying to get them on our podcast at one point. But we can always try.
1: I mean, I I am due to fly to LA at the end of October, chap, so maybe I'll go and pop to Ryan's house for a cup and we'll get him on the Premier Non-League podcast then. Is that a good idea?
0: Maybe they've just confused Red Red Dragons with Red Devils and got it around the wrong Mm -hmm. way and ended up with not the Premier League but the National League.
1: Yeah, I think uh, maybe Ryan went to a Buccaneers game with Malcolm Glazer and he said, I'll go and invest in the club but he sent him down the road as a bit of a joke because he didn't want him anywhere near United. But moving on, chaps, anyway. um, So we've got the Step 4 all sponsored by Pitching In which is actually a company called GVC which, if you didn't know, is the owner of Ladbrokes and Coral. You know, obviously, last season with Bet Victor sponsoring quite a lot of the Step 4 leagues, uh, Step 3 leagues, sorry. They, um, Step 3 and 4, I guess, it brought a bit of controversy. So, What are your views on pitching in? Because from what I've read, it's a brilliant idea and a brilliant setup. And, you know, Ladbrokes could have chosen to Ladbrokes co-sponsoring it. But they chose to set up this new sort of crowdfund, not not crowdfund, but investment, donating to non-league teams. What what are your views?
0: Well, I think actually, um, it's nice to see something like that coming back into football. There is a lot of um, maybe not so much bad feeling, but there's a little bit of techiness around betting companies, um, around casinos sponsoring a lot in the Premier League clubs like Mansion and, and uh, companies like that. It may seem to some it's a little bit kind of backhanded and under the table what they're doing. It's not quite, you know, as legit and everything as it looks. But in this day and age, to be able to get a sponsor to cover all three divisions again fantastic job the marketing department's done i think
2: yeah i mean firstly i think it's it's great to have them on board and obviously what they stand for behind the scenes is probably not great and to give you a bit of insight portion for example and to be fair probably most of the clubs at our level we're all community clubs and within our ethos we tend not to go to betting companies alcohol companies adult
1: entertainment companies whatever it may be but who's a non-adult entertainment companies in uh, football yeah well I have no idea. <laughs> you know funny you say that i saw a thing on twitter a week i think club in belgium or the netherlands which is now sponsored by a, a local adult lap dancing club will say and the entrance to the main stand has got an inflatable pair of women's legs and <laughs> that's the entrance i mean i thought it was funny if it's a wind up i don't know but i think we should move swiftly on there shouldn't we really before we get away but sorry johnny i had to butt in there but <laughs> carry on what you're saying no, but i mean ultimately obviously
2: we're we're all community clubs at this level uh, especially at this level and ha- the the bet victor sponsorship was probably a little bit in bad taste i think the fact that we've got the the, the pitching in now obviously that the, the backers are, are are similar to bet victor but i think ultimately it's it's, it's master's a lot better it's all aimed at uh, obviously pushing money back into grassroots football which I think it's positive at the end of
4: the day. Yeah, and no, I I totally agree with that. Like you say, if, you know, if someone is getting sy- siphoned off from betting companies to come down to this league, it's not like it's a bet Victor. Um, you know, it's it's called the pitching pitching in. You know, there, there is a problem with gambling in this country. We all know that the government's trying to legislate against that. So it's good not to have an actual betting company's name against it. Um, because it's, so, it's it is so easy to gamble these days. Uh, you, you know, you can just pick your mobile up while you're watching a football match, and and fritter away you know ten, twenty quid. And I can imagine people do get addicted to it, and then and then they're chasing the winnings, and before they know it, you know they've got real problems. So to have not actually have a betting company's name against the league, I think is a good thing.
1: I think that was the worry overall, because you look at clubs like, for example, Wigan and look at the awful story that's happened to them and no not to cause any libel cases here or anything but you know there was a big sort of link with the sort of administration and the sponsorship of the shirt which was all betting companies based out in the far east you know it it leaves you a little bit in bad taste so i am glad that it wasn't named the Labrick's coral Isthmian premier you know years ago we had loads of leagues sponsored by you know cups sponsored by you know cigarettes alcohol gambling but i think we've moved on from those days haven't we chaps
0: yeah and i think it's something that it's just it's it's so much more relevant it's more accessible it's easy for for people to get hold of the days gone by and that you had the football pools and you know you have one or two betting shops maybe in your village or your town and that was it you know these days you pick up your mobile as you know as pete said and bang before you know it you're down 10 grand and all of a sudden, you know, your house is on the line, your mortgage, your, your family, everything.
4: Trevor, you're a very rich man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was. Got a lot of money. I don't know if you saw a few years ago, there's a documentary on how these gambling companies bring you back in and people try and get away from it. And then they get tempted in by, offers sent through the post. Oh, we've put two grand in your account to bet and they think oh two grand free money and then they get back in and they get back into that debt and it's a vicious circle and you know i luckily haven't seen it in any of my friend base but you know we all do it i mean i put the odd one pound on here and there on an akia or something on a saturday but i luckily know when to walk away but sadly so many people don't and to have the sort of bet victor branding you know right in front of you you know it was a big step up from having an adhesives company sponsoring it the previous season
2: yeah, from my point of view, I'm actually fortunate enough that I'm actually not allowed to bet on English football due to my relationship with Horsham as an official member of the club. So uh, I tend to bet on American football now and that's only four months of the year, so I'm all right.
1: Chaps, I think it's time to play Ashley's second part of the interview. He's been looking forward to the end of it and you know, finding out what, what the future holds for Ashley. So enjoy.
2: The Premier Non-League Podcast. Another thing I picked out as well,
0: during your career quite often you got voted into Teams of the Year, you got voted into the Team of the of the Decade in 2015 as well. How does it make you feel to receive the accreditation of, of your peers?
5: Yeah, that's always the, um, you know, for us I think that players, player or, or any of those types of ones are the ones that uh, you, you kind of respect a little bit more and that's not, nothing against the, the journalists who vote. But I think that it's just—it's always nice to get the respect of your peers, and it's they're in the game with you, whether it be against you or on your team, and the little things that sometimes don't get highlighted in the media or with fans and stuff. Other players appreciate what other players are doing, so I think that the, those types of awards, are, you know, I always uh, appreciated and, and kind of was happy about.
0: 36 years old now, still maybe a, a club or two left for one more contract at some level, or is it a desire to move into coaching now?
5: Yeah, no, I don't know. I just, uh, at the minute, I'm kind of just like a, um, stay at home dad and, and settling into that a little bit. So I'm not sure. Obviously the times are a little bit crazy at the minute with football yeah. and with everything that's going on in the world. So I'm in no rush to, uh, to decide either way. And I'm just, you know, mulling over a few things and, um, and we'll see. Really, I've still got a bit of time to to make a, a decision either way. So, at the minute, yeah, I'm just doing the home the home life thing, and uh, and we'll see. I can't really, I haven't made a, a decision either way for anyone as as to what I'm going to do next.
0: Moving on to obviously Wales and captain of your country, played 86 times so far. Euro 2016 is obviously going to stand out as the major time when obviously Wales has run to the semi-final for the first time in more than 50 years. How has it been involved in that kind of history, playing for your country?
5: I think it's... I've been fortunate, in my opinion, to have a lot of good moments and stuff, but that's got to be right up there. Um, That whole summer, just the whole... Even the campaign before it to qualify was Mm. amazing. And then the actual time that we spent uh, in France was like, we'll never forget it. And I think it's some of that we'll... You know, we talk about it all the time as players and, and the staff and, and, and fans when, when you see them. And uh, it's something that we'll, you know, we'll always remember as probably in all of our careers, except maybe Gaz Bale. Um, <laughs> and, and I, probably, I can't
3: think why, but...
5: I think he put it up there as well, to be honest, just speaking to him. Um, it was just something that, it was so good because it wasn't expected. We, there was no expectation on it. Um, and we was just, we were just living it in the moment.
0: And I think as well at that point as well, you had the backing of England. Possibly, I don't know about Scotland and Northern Ireland, but a lot of English people were once. Once obviously you'd knock the English out, you know, were, were then rooting for Wales
5: to get all the way to the final. It didn't feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe it's just me then behind you that yeah. do I feel like I feel like as a team, as a, the Welsh team, we had a lot of fans definitely from around the world. It was almost mm. meeting people or speaking to people. It was like we was kind of everyone's second favorite team after yeah. their. Um, and we kind of had that. I feel I've heard that a lot with Swansea as well because we play such an attractive style of football. Everyone would support their team, but enjoy watching enjoy watching Swansea as well. So um, yeah, I think that we was like the underdogs uh, that that year, and and we got so far that when the teams were getting knocked out, they would kind of follow Wales. Has, has the door kind
0: of shut on playing for Wales now, or is it still open? Do you think if you manage to pick up, you know, a, a contract at another championship, maybe League One club?
5: Yeah, I think it's still there. I was obviously called into the last uh, camp a couple of weeks ago yeah. uh, to pull out. So, I, I, you know, we'll see. We're, uh, You know, I don't know. Um, and we just have to assess that really when the next lot of games come up and see, see where I'm at, see where the managers are and, and take it from there. Another thing I wanted to touch on as well was,
0: the charity work that you and your wife do that you set up in 2010 charity wills world helping underprivileged children, which I think is a fantastic thing to do. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you actually managed to do with the charity?
5: Yeah, well, we, we, um, we don't do, we don't do anything really. We do our bits now, but we don't do anything. We ended up, we had three kids quite close. So we, we was, we had our hands full with that, but um, we just, did it, it was local and it was in Swansea and it was more, Swansea at that point didn't have a a, a thing where they was, um, like they didn't have a charity part of the club really. So a lot of the stuff used to come to me as yeah. captain. So I was like, okay, well, we might as well try and uh, help as many people as we can. And it would be quite small things. We'd bring the other lads um, their families and try and get them involved. And it would be like, we would, Christmas we always used to take an amount of kids from social services, let them get what they want from the toy store. Or it might be some children, um, you know, some children that have come from another country and we'd take them out for the day. It was just small things. It wasn't on a massive scale or we'd hear about, you know, there was one boy needed to raise 50,000 to get a, 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 an operation um, in America. We raised the money for him, for just putting on different things and, you know, trying to do, um, whether it be evenings or days, you know, daytime events and just trying to raise money. It was just all local in the Swansea area. Um, and we just kept it personal like that. and just, Lots and lots of other little things where we could help, where it might just be an appearance, it might just be trying to raise a little bit of money or, or what had taken people out for the day, mostly children. Um we did do some stuff with like the the local monkey uh, sanctuary and yeah. some, it was just open for anything that, you know, whilst we was there, we'd been there, we felt like a big part of the community and um you know, we wanted to help where we where we can. I think
0: it's a lot of this that sort of stuff that you know a lot of you pro players do outside of football, but it's not recognised as well as what it should be in some
5: respects. Yeah, no, I think that in my opinion, the way I see that that side of things is it's not people like football players don't have to do anything at all because they the club pays them their money and gives them that status and they've earned it. So that's fine, that's theirs. But um, it, it's quite nice if you're in a position the way you can help people and, and you, you do do that. And I do think that there's a lot there's so much that goes on that no one knows about. And, and that's how it should be. But, you know, I don't think that probably that doesn't make the headline. If you, if, if someone Googled me now, it's not going to say, oh, we went to a monkey sanctuary and, and tried to help some monkeys. It's all the bad things. Do you know what yeah, I mean? All exactly. The, all the football highlights and stuff. So it doesn't really make the news, which is a shame. I know, like, Marcus has done some great work and it. That's quite big news, which is brilliant on a big scale. But there's there's stuff going on daily with players that that are helping and using their either their finances or their their status and position to, to help people less fortunate which which is great and um you know I you know with when I was doing it, I never wanted to I never wanted it to be um I didn't want it's difficult because the more you put it out there the more people you can help yeah but the more the more it looks a little bit like oh look what I'm doing mm, yeah. I'm doing this great thing and it was like well no, I didn't really want to put it out because I just wanted to keep it um, you know Bunky. like it can be and just, just get the job done with no cameras there so it's a difficult one I can understand where people are coming from but there is you no, know, um, as you said there's a, there's a lot of good work that goes on
0: um, Do you think as well obviously bearing in mind what's happened with the pandemic and everything as well that um, clubs can clubs can do a little bit more for their communities and also the communities can get a bit more involved especially when it comes to non-league football as well
5: Yeah definitely I don't know How much like non-league, you know, goes on? But I'm guessing, you know, I live close to a couple of non-league teams and stuff, and you don't hear nothing about it at all. You know, I'm sure they don't sell out um, every week. So, you know, in terms of like schemes to get people into the ground and give families a a Saturday day out, Saturday afternoon day out, there's no skin off your nose. You know, maybe get some more people in there. Um, You know, I've worked for a lot of clubs, and you you get the you get the uh, community teams sending you out on a visit probably every six weeks, eight weeks to somewhere to a school or something but I think a lot more can be done you know from the teams in their own communities and vice versa and and as I say like the the teams around me uh, the community doesn't probably support the teams the non-league teams enough but then again they probably don't know what's going on down there enough either so I think you know and especially as you say in times that are a little bit challenging like now um you know, I think they're probably, they were out there and there was a really good relationship with the city and the team. Um, so, you know, people are doing good jobs, but, uh, you know, not everywhere.
0: Where do you see non-league football going in the future? And there should should there be more of the pro clubs looking out for some bargains, some gems? We see clubs like Peterborough United picking up some really good players from non-league, selling them on for a profit. You've got Dwight Gow sitting at Newcastle. You know, given that the financial constraints are going to be tight for a lot of clubs this season... Should should a few more be delving back into the bottom end of the game and investing in that than maybe, you know, more average foreign players coming across, maybe?
5: Yeah, well, I can't even try to imagine the way football is going to go. It's, I think it will look a little bit different than it has. I don't know how that, what that means for non-league football at all. Um, I think it could be shared out a little bit more. But again, like I said about the players and their personal finances, I get like a team's money is their money and they can do what they want with it. It would be nice if if a little bit was pumped down a little bit. Um, And in terms of the players, I I think that for me, that's been, I've got nothing against uh, people coming and playing from different countries. And I think it's added so much to our game. But what used to bother me coming from non-league was if I'd watch a game in League 2, or a non-league game, or, or a League One game, I'd see better players than some of the ones that were coming to my team that we were paying for. But because they've got a few Zs in their name, they're, they're, they're expected to be the best thing since sliced bread. And they weren't at all. And it was like, well, I can see these hungry kids Then I was one of them one day. And they're, they're more suited to this game and they're probably better and they cost less. Yep. But because it's like Joe Bloggs from Aldershot, it, it, nobody's signing him. So... I do think that, you know, hopefully the, um, the British players will get a little bit more of a boost and then they have to start going and signing them because there's so much talent there.
0: I think as well with the, obviously the restrictions that came out again the other day with the fans not being allowed into stadiums from the top level right down to the National League as well. There's already been a lot of clubs come out and say that they're going to struggle to start the season, let alone complete one. Do you think the whole landscape, could change right from the very top to the very bottom, just literally because of what's happened over the last few months.
5: Yeah, I think it's going to change somehow. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that is. I, you know, I can imagine that teams will be struggling. Obviously, a big part of the income is the, the gate receipts, and they're, they're having none, so they're paying out, but they're, they're not getting the, the chunks coming back in. So I'm not sure. Obviously, it's a setback for football that with the crowd situation now. I think everyone was hoping it would get back at least by the end of the year some fans would be in, this, in the stadium but they're not so I'm not sure how and what I can gather for, for smaller teams to just continue to run you know we see them all the time teams in trouble so I can imagine it's going to be nearly impossible now unless they get some help from somewhere where that is I don't know
0: Wonderful brilliant Ashley thank you very much for for joining us on the Premier Non-League Podcast it's been great to have you on
1: My pleasure thank it's you Thanks
0: mate take care yeah.
2: R-U-P-N-L-P. pnlp
1: Final bit of the interview from Ashley Williams there, Trevor. Thank you so much for doing that. I think you enjoyed it. You could sound you enjoyed it, Ashley. It was nice of him to you know put his little touch on. You know, fascinating, how amazing how we've got someone that was in the Euro so final scored in that game to get them to the semi final to equalise against the Belgians. Brilliant. And you know, long mate continue to have someone big name characters on the Premier Non League podcast. And that's the reason why we call ourselves Premier because we're not just like any Non League podcast. We are a Premier Non League podcast, aren't we, chaps?
0: We are indeed. It's nice to like say to get someone like ashley um played at the top level of the game played the top european level of the game as well obviously he's missed you know not managed to get wales to the world cup but i mean the first first time in 50 years they'd made um a major tournament you know and that you think some of the players he's played with for wales gareth bale was obviously the first name that springs to mind or
1: gaz bale as he called him in the interview, he's obviously got a <laughs> yeah, band of no, oh
0: yeah yeah very uh very matey Um, nice to say nice to get someone like that and hopefully we we, we can get a few more as we go along as well be fantastic
1: well we have got some names that we are working on so if you are listening to this podcast and you think you could have a player introduced to us that has played at the highest level or higher levels and non-league and started off or ending their career in non-league we'd love to hear from them and one of our roving reporters Trevor, or pete or if you're unlucky part of myself have to have a little interview one day but um it was really really well done and you know thank you trevor for putting the time into doing that and hopefully you enjoyed it ladies and gentlemen so i guess moving on to the final part of the show, we mentioned earlier the FA Cup has started. Obviously, a disappointment for myself and Pete and Trevor's Worthing fans. We were all at the game. Uh, went out on penalties after an amazing goal from Jesse Starkey, who started the scoring, an amazing free kick into the top left-hand corner. But it just wasn't to be that night. Horsham, through to the next round, got a great tie against Haven and Waterlooville, as we've already said, has to be, unfortunately, played behind closed doors, which is very frustrating. But one thing I was wondering, the season of the FA Cup is this year is a little bit different. Do you think because of COVID, it's really got what they call as the magic of the FA Cup this year? I mean, it's debatable that you could say the magic of the FA Cup hasn't been as magical as it was in previous years growing up. But for me now, the added, you know, is it a good thing for Werbin to be out the Cup? Because now we can concentrate on trying to get that league promotion. Johnny, what do you think Horsham still being in the Cup?
2: I mean, ultimately, the magic of the FA Cup will not be there this year. The, the magic of the FA Cup is a, a low league side against a Premier League side. Managed to scrape a draw at home, getting a big 30,000, 40,000 crowd away in the replay, ultimately taking millions into the club's coffers. Ultimately, we're not going to get that this year. Every every tie has to be settled on the day, no replays. I don't think the magic of the FA Cup will be there this year. There's not going to be a lot of money in it either.
1: No, I mean I look at it as over the river, ones that come to mind, Crawley versus Manchester United all those years ago at Old Trafford. What a draw! I was living in Crawley at the time, and the buzz around the town was amazing. You know, they got their sponsorship by the Sun, and you know, whatever you think of the Sun, it's nice to see them on a national level. Then you had Sutton United versus Arsenal and famous Pie Gate, where the uh, where apparently there was some weird thing about the groundsmen having a pie before full time and someone put a bet on and he would like if the groundsman was seen making eating a pie he'd get a load of money behind it which was really weird. And then you've had last year Chichester City which is obviously down the road from us got to play Tranmere in the first round proper, you know, and they weren't too far away and you know you look at that and I think that's the hurt for people like myself and Peter and Trevor so much. You know, we just thought, yeah, whatever, a little bit of money, a little bit of run, a little bit of exposure to the club would have been good. Trev, you know, w- what would you say? Um, it's funny what Johnny was saying about he doesn't think the magic of the FA
0: Cup this year and I, I'm going to have to disagree with him because obviously the first game I went to this season was an FA Cup tie. I then managed to get to a second FA Cup tie which then managed to uh, bring me the drama of a last minute equaliser and a penalty shootout. So this weekend if I can get to an FA Cup game then I'd have made every round so far. So for me there's a magic of the FA Cup going on. Um, I've I've got on the plans this weekend, either Farnborough if they're allowed to have fans because they're playing step Step two Tunbridge Angels. Failing that, Chichester or Chipstead are the other two on my list. So, fingers crossed I'll get to one of those three and keep my FA Cup record intact this season. The magic's there, Johnny. If we
2: get fans in at Bognor against Haven, I'll get you a ticket. Superb.
1: Yeah, I'd love to anyone against Bognor. I'd have to be, you know, supporting a Horsham, although I kind of... I don't really want to support either teams, but I'd rather horse him over uh, Bognor, unfortunately. But the FA Cup, as, as we're about to learn, is also still very real for South Shields. Joining us now on the Premier Non-League Podcast, we've got our Northern correspondent, Ronnie. Ronnie's from the Mariners Podcast. Hello, Ronnie. Good evening.
6: Uh, how are you doing? You all right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, good thanks, mate. Thank you so much for sort of joining us and, you know, hopefully we'll get you on a, a regular thing here as I guess we're going to have to entitle you the Northern Correspondent now. So any branding or anything we do, no, I think we'll have to get yeah. you a special T-shirt or something.
6: I like, I like that. Um, I like that title. It's, it's got a good ring to it. it has, doesn't it? I've
1: oh, got marketing genius yeah. James here, you know. Um, <laughs> Ronnie, um, so tell us about yourself. So tell us about the Mariners podcast, what team it is, what team it's for, and a little bit about you and your non-league history.
6: Yeah, so I think... Um... A lot of people will, will probably remember South Shields recently as the club that decided to legally challenge the FA. <laughs> um, and I think that we've got a, a whole load of clubs behind us um, trying to change that decision of null and void. Um, I think the club spent quite a lot of money on legal fees. I think it might have been up to 200,000, something like that. Um, but obviously it, that, that didn't work. Um, And kind of a little bit bitter, I suppose, and frustrated that when the season ended last season, it was kind of a fight between South Shields, FC United of Manchester, Warrington and Nantwich, and South Shields in the last game we played won FC United of Manchester 5-2, I think it was, or 5-3, and like a fantastic game where... Lots of goals, lots of excitement. I think there was about 3,000 fans there. But that fan base on that day also included Sheffield Wednesday fans um, and a few others who had their games called off uh, against teams like Middlesbrough and Gateshead and uh, other teams around the area. So they just decided to come and watch the, the closest game that was on at the time. Because if you remember... A lot of the um, the professional clubs called off their games before our level, um, so it was just a, a brilliant carnival atmosphere. Then for that to be cruelly taken away from us, and we have to start again, mm. was a bit of pill to swallow. But we we've accepted that now. Um, we've built on the team, and we're ready. We're ready for this season. Um, a bit about. The podcast that we do there's um three of us that do it simon may Chris may and myself, Simon and Chris are twins uh, although they look alike they've they've got very different personalities, so it works really well uh, we've been do i think we've been doing it for about two years now we've got quite a good uh listenership a lot of um listeners are expats from uh, dubai uh, australia America. Uh, Brazil, we've even got uh-huh. a, a fan club in Brazil Werner uh, over there in Brazil and we interview, we, we often just kind of just chew the fat every month and talk about what's went well and what's, what hasn't well, went so well, so we, we like to try and be independent from the club in terms of as well as giving the club uh, good feedback, we also like to be critical as well, uh, because we want to show both sides of the coin and, but we also do an interview with the chairman, which I think he, uh, there's been quite a few um, interviews that Jeff Thompson's done on the various local podcasts. We've also interviewed the managers a few times because we've got joint managers. I think we're, we're only a few clubs that have got joint managers. We've got joint managers. Uh, Graham Fenton, who you might remember, played for Blackburn in Aston Villa uh, in the Premier League. And um, someone called Grim uh, Lee Pickton, uh, who is uh, well known on the the northeast non-league scene. Uh, so, and we also interview the players and also the backroom staff as well. So we try and get a a, a wide spectrum of views and opinions on the club. Uh, recently, which has been really good, we've started. Um, streaming games, the closed started streaming games to people who can't make it because of the COVID restrictions, or they are um, exiled. Um, and Chris and I, from the podcast, have been doing the, the live commentary with the streams, which has been brilliant. We did uh, our first game of the season, Michelover, uh at home, where we won 3-0. three three-nil. We've got our own gantry and all that kind of stuff, so it's, uh, it's gone really well. So that, that, in a nutshell, is is what we're all about, really. It's really, um, you know, we've
1: uh, we've spoken before. Uh, we've had myself and Pete, who do the Worthing Rebel Yell podcast, seems to be a very similar sort of uh, setup to you guys. We interview the backstage, sort of teams. We, we speak to the manager. Um, mm. Pete does the commentary on Rebel Yell Live, mm-hmm. and occasionally allows me on if I behave myself. So I think that's (laughs) normally the case. So I've got to... uh, It's it's that fine line, isn't it, of being a fan when you're right behind the game and trying not to get too involved. And then being professional, I mean... Pete thinks he's Mr. BBC over there, but, you know, you've got me and Mr. Largalaut coming on occasionally. But <laughs> No, it's, it's fun, and it's, it's, it's amazing how you can get these new technologies. And for you guys, we haven't got the streaming down at Worthing, and I know um, Horsham with Johnny haven't got a streaming service yet. But, again, I don't think our fan bases are probably as big as yours that mm-hmm. would enable us to do a successful for the amount of money that it costs.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same as you. Uh, uh, Chris is the main commentator. And or my job is just to turn up and not be as drunk as I normally am when the kickoff <laughs> happens. <laughs> well, we've yeah, already had a broken about.
1: microphone this season um, already. <laughs> it wasn't me though. So yeah. <laughs> Pete, 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 uh, Pete, t- quite rightly told off the person it was not involved. But um, so going forward, how has your first few games been? So have you played two now? Is it the second? You had the second round this weekend, just gone.
6: Yeah, we we we've uh, we've played two mm-hmm. league games um and have we played two, we definitely played the first league game of the season against Mikkelover. Mm-hmm. Uh that was a tough game and 3-0 goes down on the records but it wasn't um as easy as 3-0 might um might say I think South Shields just kind of a, had a little bit more quality um than Mikkelover in front of goal. Um we created a few chances but Mikkelover were a very strong well-established team in that league. And uh, Saturday just gone, we played um, Hyde United, and, we... and we. So sorry.
4: An exciting 0-0 draw.
6: Exciting 0 nil draw. Apparently, it was a bit of a, a a bit of a damp squib of a game. Um, but we we often get um, some very attritional games when South Shields go and play away, because uh, uh, other teams have been known... and. Not cut the grass and uh, make it as difficult as possible to to play football, but you know that's it's just all part of the game. Um, I think the management would have been disappointed with a 0 nil draw, but I don't think at this level anything away from home is a good. It's a good result. You can't really sniff at it.
1: Have you been in the FA Cup yet? Has the FA Cup game happened yet, or are you not in that round? Because I think Worthing we got knocked out. Midweek, uh, Horsham got put through to the next round. What about um, South Shields?
6: Yeah, we're still in. We've got Ashton, um, Ashton the next round. It's away. We play Ashton twice in a in a in a few days. <laughs> um, one in the league and one in the cup. Uh, so yeah, we're st- we're still in that. Um, and from what I've been told from the managers and the chairman, we're going to treat it very seriously. Um, and try and get as far as we can. There was a few seasons ago we had a a really good run where we beat York City, who were a couple of leagues above us, uh, and we played Hartlepool, and we were 1-0 up at half-time, bossing the game, but we kind of threw it away. We nearly actually beat Hartlepool, who I think, at at that point, they were in the conference. Wow. Um, I think that's the thing about this South Shields team. A lot of the players have played at conference level in their time, um, and most of them have played, some of them have been played at a league level, and most of them have played above the, league, the level that we're in mm-hmm. because there's been significant investment in South Shield. Lots mm-hmm. of very seasoned professionals, also mixed with a lot of younger sign ins who are also got full of potential.
4: I was going to ask you, um, when the, obviously, because the season was null and void last season. Yeah. Um, did you manage to keep on to sort of you know the crux of your your squad your uh, your main players? Did any depart
6: or whatever? Yeah, we, we did, and I think South Shields are at, at a massive advantage of in that sense because like we're we're about two thirds professional, so where we've got a lot of full time professionals um, in the club who are on decent contracts, um, and we've been able to to keep the majority of them. Uh, we've lost an influential player called Gary Brown, who's, who's been around the non-league se- scene for a while. Um, but other than that, we haven't lost a great deal. Um, we've kept a hold of, of Jason Gilchrist, who is a he's a prolific goal scorer at this level. He used to play for Southport in the Conference North. I think he was top of the chart scoring charts about two years ago. Um, and you know, just to, it just goes to show you how uh, how much facilities and resources South Shields have got. Because at the back end of last season, we signed um, the top scorer in the league um, from Staley Bridge, Darius Osai, um, and he's he's a quality player. So yeah, the the good thing is we have kept the majority of that squad together, and they all most of them know how to play. The way the managers want them to play, so and we've we, we've got some pretty good additions as well that, that I can tell you about later.
2: Now, a part question from me: um, in in the conversations that you've had with with the management staff, yeah, how, how easy has it been to to motivate the players after obviously what was a uh, the, the termination of the season and the second part with with the, the sort of money that was spent in investing into to, to supporting a legal challenge against the FA? Has that had an impact on potential incoming players throughout the summer or not? Um,
6: I think on the the money that we've spent, uh, the chairman has input quite a lot of that. Um, and there's a massive impact on all clubs with the revenue lost with... Um, With the only 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 being able to take 600 instead of two and a half thousand, three thousand, uh, the the chairman wants to um, to hand over the club to the fans really. And actually, what I what I didn't mention before is there's a there's a shareholder um, incentive for fans coming out soon, where fans can buy a share in the club, and hopefully that will increase the coffers a little bit. and allow us to start kind of not having to rely on the chairman as much financially, but I suppose you know last year was a was a big one-off in terms of deciding to go for that legal challenge. Um, so, I, but if I just give you some examples of some of the players that we've uh, that we've got in this season, I think you you'll be able to see that it hasn't really affected it that much because we've been able to get Miles um, Borney, who is uh, the goalkeeper who used to play for Blackpool. Um, we've now got him. He was on loan last season. He's now permanent as a full-time professional. We've got someone called Jordan Hunter, who's the, who was the right-back for Sunderland, uh, under-23s. He was on loan last season, and he turned down a contract to sign for Sunderland for a year, I think, to come and sign a two-year contract or a multi-year contract for South Shields. Uh, so it shows you that they're still spending money on players because those type of players won't have been cheap to entice them to non-league when they were when they were part of profe- um, league clubs. Uh, there was also, there's also a guy called Wouter Verstraten who uh, learned he's traded PSV Eindhoven um, Academy. He was offered a contract with Sunderland as well and turned that down to sign for South Shields. So, the quality of the player and the experience is still coming in. So that says to me that there hasn't been that much of an impact that would curtail our spending on investments and in new players this season.
1: Uh, it sounds like you know, it, it sounds like you looks like you're gonna do what you wanted to do last season, you're gonna go full throttle, um, no matter. You know, I think it's gonna be a very different season, something we'll later discuss yep. on the podcast. Yeah, but...
6: and, and on the point of motivation, sorry I didn't ask answer the first part of the question on the point of motivation uh, when we've been speaking to the managers and the chairman the motivation is is going to be born from pure frustration about what happened and making sure we uh, win this league as far uh, as early as possible to uh, I suppose to show the FA that we won't we won't be lying down we will come back and we won't uh, lick our wounds um for as long as it is, could have happened, uh, we're going to use that as motivation to kind of to prove everyone wrong and prove that we can do this twice and twice in a row. I think that was what happened down with us at Worthing.
1: Um, yeah. We haven't really added too much to the squad this preseason, but I know for a fact a lot of the players wanted to stay. And do what they couldn't do last year. And hmm. I think that's the motivation. I think that's what to gets us. And the first two games we performed, Pete's been to both and I was at the Kingstonian win this weekend where we, you know, four nil we put past them and we, we were phenomenal. But in the FA Cup on Tuesday night we we, we threw away a two goal lead. Oh, I think right. it's gonna be a long season. Um how about anything else in the Northern Premier League? What is there any other news or gossip or anything that you've sort of found out for us as our roving northern correspondent?
6: <laughs> yeah. Um just before I go through this, I do have to uh, thank Darren Tinmouth, who, who is the oracle of, um, uh, he's a South Shields fan as well, but he's a, the oracle of of all things Northern League, and he kind of he keeps a very close, detailed eye on what's going on with other teams. So I've I've been able to use his blog to fill in some of the knowledge g- gaps I have about other teams. But a lot of the stuff here I can go through, and um, and it should give you a flavour of of where different teams are um, and who's coming up and who's who's who are the strong teams that have always been there um, and will probably be there at the top this season. So, firstly, we've got uh, Buxton. They finished 18th last season, but the season before that, they got to the playoffs um, and South Shields actually beat them in the semi-final of the playoffs uh, before Warrington beat South Shields. So, Buxton have have spent a lot of money it looks like on some very high quality players Um, I think at the last count there was 18 new players including the likes of James Walshaw Tommy Taylor from Scarborough who have consistently performed at this level over the years Um, and I'm not not sure if you remember this guy but uh, Matt Kilgallen uh, who used to play for Leeds and Sheffield United uh, they've They've signed, they've signed him, so that's a huge sign. And for this level, so Buxton or uh, I think the team that everyone is is very keen to see, and how they're going to integrate all of these players into a, a coherent team that might challenge the top of the league. Really, I think with the investment they've spent there, I, I think they expect to be to that be there or thereabouts at the end of the season. Uh, FC United of Manchester. Uh, I mentioned them at the start. Very strong last season, as you would imagine, because they 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 got relegated last season from the Conference North. Uh, I'm assuming you know about FC United of Manchester and the history of yeah. uh, How of long they've been
1: around for now? So, cause I remember, oh, they obviously yeah. it was it was fans that were against the Glazers and everything, wasn't it? Is that the sort of background? Yeah, was?
6: it is, um, and and that's um, I think that must be about six, seven years, maybe more. Uh, they're a very interesting club. We went down. To see South Shields play away, and they've got—I think there was about 18, 000, um, 1,800 people there, and they basically sing old Manchester United songs for the full game. Um, and it, it's—it's a—it's a—it's a very interesting atmosphere that I've that I've never quite seen before. And I think it's a fan-run and a fan-owned club. I think the fan finan- fans finance most of it. And they've got a very good team. Uh, I think uh, they lost their top striker, um, Tundi Owolabi, who I've seen firsthand at South Shield, and he was lethal. But he's managed to sign for Hamilton Academicals in the Scottish League. So he's playing uh, Scottish League football now. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they do without him because he scored a lot of goals last season. Um, they've signed someone from Fleetwood called Michael Fowler, striker, who has got the uh, hard task of, of replacing Tundi. Um And he's going to link up with Regan Linney, who um, grabbed 12 goals for, for them last season. So FC United and Manchester are always going to be a threat at this level because of just the... The pedigree that they've got and the the, the higher levels they've, they've played in the past. Uh, Warrington Town, always very strong. We South Shields have had many battles with them over the last three or four years. They knocked us out of the playoffs two years ago. Um, uh, they've started the season really well with two wins out of two in the league. Um, Nantwich, Basford, they're always up there. Um, and Basford have consistently invested in the squad. Scarborough, you'll all know about Scarborough. They've got a a very good reputation um, as being, um, knocking out cup giants in the past. Uh, They're a well-established club, always capable of doing something. And we can include Whitby Town in that as well because they had a really good season last season. Uh, Morpeth have managed to keep a lot of their squad, which I think is half the battle at this level. If you... And I think that's, it's similar I think that's where the question before was coming from. If at this level you can um, you can keep a lot of your players, then you have a very good chance because they know the patterns of play they know what the manager uh, wants them to do and uh, rather than doing what Buxton's probably going to do and try and integrate 80 new players into a into a team from scratch. Uh, so yeah, and they have added someone called a midfielder called Connor Oliver from Gateshead. And, but they've changed their manager, so it'll be interesting to see how they go. The problem with Morpeth last season was the amount of games they had called off at home because their their pitch and where it is um, can get some hammer when it's raining, and it takes a while to uh, to irrigate out. So I think they got about seven, eight, maybe nine games postponed last season. So they were always playing catch-up. Um, but I think if they can sort their pitch out and they can play games on a regular basis, they'll, they'll be a threat. Um, and then the South Shields, which I've just described. We've got, got quite a few players from league football and we've also got someone called Will McCamley who's signed on loan from Huddersfield Town. Um, so, you know, it's like, I think South Shields will be the overwhelming bookies' favourites, but we have been for the last three seasons. And sometimes that doesn't mean anything because at this level, there's some very tough uh, seasoned teams at this league who are very hard to play against, especially away. And when they come to South Shields, uh, they deploy some quite uh, stringent defensive tactics should we say that's hard to break down it sounds like you've got a
1: lot of competition up in the Northern yep. Premier League it sounds like a lot of teams are going to be up there and pushing for that promotion place yep. um, just for sort of my own and I guess our own personal interest mm-hmm. who are your traditional rivals who, who is your rivalry and what's the match you look forward to the most in the season
6: so our pure traditional rivals are North Shields Okay. South Shields v North Shields uh, the River Tyne separates us mm-hmm. But North Shields are—we used to play them on a regular basis—but they're in a slightly lower league than us. Yeah. So in this league now, our rivals are Morpeth Town. Okay. Uh, there's been some incredible games with Morpeth Town, and there's a bit of history there because I don't know if you remember when South Shields got to Wembley for the FA Vase, uh, but we got to Wembley. But on that cup run, we played Morpeth and Morpeth were winning 4-2 i think it was or maybe 4-1 uh 4-2 i think with 10 minutes to go at South Shields and the floodlights went off and oh, the game uh, got the game got <laughs> cancelled had to be replayed and South Shields beat Morpeth. i think it was 4-0 at Morpeth, so that created quite a lot of bad blood uh, there was a in i think there was a there was a lot of to and throwing about why the lights actually Went off, and whether it was uh, it was South Shields who actually turned them off on purpose. <laughs> never proven, uh, never ever proven. No evidence to say that, but uh, it has, let's just say, made the the subsequent fixtures with Morpus a little bit spicy. One of those myths of the game, I guess,
1: that's going to never be proven. It. So I guess yeah. if you could refer it to maybe the famous Gus Poyet and something in the changing room oh, yeah, yeah. on the floor <laughs> of uh, Crystal Palace uh, um, playoff semi-final yeah. a few years ago, which sort of ended the career of Gus Poyer in at, at, at Brighton. Um, I guess on that bombshell, Ronnie, it's, it's, it's been it's been great to speak to you. And we really appreciate you coming on. and Hopefully, your new, lo- well-loved title by us all, the Northern Correspondent, we hope to get you on a lot more regularly. Um, but if you're not, just just plug your socials, plug your sort of podcast socials once again. But listeners, before you go, and you know, from me, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. And for, on behalf of the PNLP, thank you, and um, good luck for the season. I look forward to hearing throughout the progress of this uh, podcast over the season how you, how South Shields are getting on in the Northern Premier League.
6: Cool, yeah. On the plug, um, on the plug, vein, uh, It's podcast Mariner, at podcast mariners on Twitter. That's where we put our um, podcasts on and the links you can use there either get you into SoundCloud or the Apple podcasts. And we, we normally try to do one every month. So welcome any listeners. And we also take questions on Twitter um, from anyone, really. And we are, we're always up for getting views from other members of the non-league family um, and sharing them and debating them. So thanks very much for having us on. So, well hopefully we have been
1: talking and maybe sometime throughout the season if it allows us maybe a couple of us will come up and visit you in south shields and we look forward to a good old northern day out up there with you
6: lots well, of beers. yeah bring your hangover tablets with you because you'll Brilliant. need
1: them well i've <laughs> had a few nights out in the town with my guy following Charlton over the years on the team so i hope if that's anything to go by i think it's going to be quite a good one but uh, oh yeah ronnie thank you very much mate and uh, look after yourself cheers thank you and thanks. <laughs>
2: R U P N L P
1: so really good to hear from our self named Northern Correspondent. I do think if we do any branding or anything, guys, I think we need to get him a an honorary t shirt and call the Northern Correspondent for Ronnie. I think I think he deserves one of them. But hopefully, as we said, I mean I'd love to go out. I mean, a night out on the tune. I mean, I'm a bit older than the last time I we went out now, but I think a night on out is on the tune and South Shields, I'd love to go out. and I'm sure they'll be very welcoming to us. But you know, check out the Mariners podcast if you haven't had a chance. After obviously you've checked out our podcast. You know, go on to listen again. I guess that could be what people like Peter Crouch does recommend another podcast. We'll recommend the Mariners podcast this week then. Yeah. So we do that. Fascinating insight into the Northern Premier League. Pete has picked up some observations on his travels. Firstly, last week, Worthing's first game at Folkestone. Oh yeah. um, Sorry. You threw me (laughs) there. Well, did you not travel to Folkestone, Pete? I did actually. You drove that stupid little green bus, uh, shouted bogner all over it. That's it. That's it. Right. Um, yeah, shout out
4: to uh, Michael Everett of uh, Folkestone, who's uh, notched up his 750th appearance against Worthing. He's 38 now, and his first testimonial was 12 years ago. So I think he's overdue another one, to be honest. Wow, <laughs>
1: that's pretty amazing.
4: It's a lot of games, isn't it, for a non-league player?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean life, I think life not and Ben's soul. Really,
4: Ben. To be honest, very true.
1: He'll have a stand named after him soon. He's got her when he retires.
4: If he retires, because he's on the coaching staff as well.
1: Yeah, we're going to be future manager or something, I'll assume.
4: Definitely a club legend, though, isn't he? Without yeah, a shadow of a so. doubt. Yeah, yeah. um, now we go going to Aldershot Town, and Lewis Kinsella has unfortunately picked up a medical collateral ligament injury, which is a knee injury. Apparently, a, a oh, GoFundMe shit. has been set up, uh, which uh, Jack Greenwich has has donated to, and the, although the club are paying for the paying for the operation. Lewis Kinsella's set up the GoFundMe so that hopefully he can raise, you know, some money for the club as well as himself to get the operation paid for. So I think that was worth a shout out. I guess we forget
1: at this level that there's not really any, you know, if a player at a sort of high level, there'd be a coverage for that injury and the club would pay for it. It wouldn't really cost them a penny. But obviously down at the lower level and non-league, they've got a big bill to face. And, you know, it's great to see people like Jack Grealish in funding. Do you know why Jack decided to, you know put a bit of money towards it does he know Lewis himself
4: yeah he does he played with him in the under-18s you know so you know obviously he's a friend of his so you know uh, you know because I think you know Jack Grealish gets a bit of unfair criticism sometimes he doesn't help himself but obviously you know it shows that you know players do 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 things like this and I, I think it's to be applauded to be honest yeah, definitely. It. And as as insurance goes, I think players normally can get an insurance, but obviously it's it's probably quite expensive for them because obviously a lot of them have got day jobs, everything else, and um, so maybe they can't afford those higher levels of insurance if something goes wrong on a football pitch. You know but they they're they're covered for it like Premiership clubs are, where the actual club. Pays sort all of those insurance fees, and the players don't have to worry about it. And my final shout out then is to um, found a groundhopper today who's going to see her 623rd game at a different ground a young lady called Lucy Farnell um so big shout out to her and i was going to say obviously we we do want ground hoppers on the show if they've got any stories anything they they want to tell us funny 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 stories uh best grounds worst grounds good experiences bad experiences and get in touch with the uh, pnlp and we'll get in touch with you and hopefully get you on the show and we'll do a brief interview with you
1: well i'd love to hear from lucy her experience of going to all these ground hops because you know we all ourselves despite our allegiances to various teams, we love going to a non-league game and other non-league ground. The only one I happened to have done was when Worthing's season were curtailed and Pete and I and a few other of the rebels went down to Shoreham versus Worthing United, which was an experience and a half, I have to say. Amazing how it's a completely different level of the game compared to what we're used to. But, uh, yeah, yeah. No.
4: yeah, didn't they, James? What's
1: uh, that? At the bar? Oh I mean they missed about four penalties and you know <laughs> the pitch was just so slow. I think there was a there was a Brighton fan, wasn't there, who said you won't get this service down the Amex, and we're all just like, mate, it's Shoreham. What? This isn't the Amex; it's Shoreham FC. Do you really think the service is going to be quicker at Shoreham FC than the Amex, where they've got all this technology to bottom fill pints and stuff like that? Ridiculousness, but yeah, Johnny, have you have you managed to get many groundhoppers involved?
2: Well, no, but I was going to say, if she hasn't attended Horsham's ground yet, I'll uh, I'll get her a
1: ticket. Oh, I'll just say, there's not point. There's no point going down there. It's not that much to see there, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's a very nice ground, Horsham. It's uh, I all the only thing I'd say about Horsham ground I found really weird was the bit behind the goal of the clubhouse. I found I just find that little bit in the higher level a little bit of an odd setup, and you know it felt it felt. I, I don't know why. It might just be me, but it felt been that step up.
2: I get what you're saying. It's it's a bit awkward because it means you can't extend. You can't put a stand there in the future.
1: Yeah, the
2: pitch by sort of ten twenty meters.
1: Uh, I, I have to say that. That, behind that goal ended up breaking my dad's fingers uh, Pete was right next to it. like one of your players last season when we played during the Velocity was it the Velocity Pete when uh, we came back or was it the Sussex I think it was the Velocity wasn't it
2: no Sussex
1: it was at the Sussex and um, my dad and me were it's my dad's first ever non-league game first ever game with Werving we're standing behind the goal just before careful with a beer each and then he's got his hand wrapped around the metal bar and for some reason one of your players couldn't hit the net couldn't hit the bar but he hit my dad's hand bang on and bear in mind he's got arthritis bless him He honestly he's, um, he's having to have an operation on it this year so to be honest we should have really put a legal claim in against Horsham we might have uh, helped Werving out there to be fair but you know we, we thought we didn't get it but bless him bad luck for my old man there, but I guess we did right, the talking on the pitch that day. That's
4: obviously why James, you don't like that higher bit
1: <laughs> you know had- my poor my poor old man who suffered from cancer over the years, had his various ailments, he's obviously all right now, goes to a non league game and gets his hands smashed to pieces by one of their useless players that can't hit the net. <laughs> <laughs> But going on in the next couple of weeks, lads, we're hopefully going to get on. What what have you got planned? I mean, myself, Pete and Trevor tomorrow, um, I say tomorrow, today, Tuesday, we're going to be uh, seeing Worthing at Lewis, which I'm looking forward to. I think me and Trevor are in the pies end, but Pete, you might be in the fries end if you're doing the commentary, wouldn't you? I
4: I don't know where I am. The the club have obviously sorted it out for me, Mm. uh, but I don't know where I'm going to be.
1: And if you haven't got a clue what we're going on about... Lewis for some reason have called their two ends fries and pies Um, and as Pete quite rightly said last season I remember I met him earlier in the game when we did a commentary there I won't even talk about my laptop because if you do listen to Rebel Yell you would have heard enough about my laptop and how a fan smashed it on the floor last season uh, quite annoyingly when he was careless but anyway we'll move on Uh, we we arrived earlier Pete just wanted a burger and chips and he had to have some hipster pie and some like craft beer from behind the bar and I think Lewis are too hipster for their own good sometimes
4: they're definitely they're definitely hipster. Yeah, I just wanted burger and chips. I'd been working all day, went straight to the ground, and I thought burger and chips and a nice pint of lager. Could I get any any of what those? You, you had Come sort on. of
1: like, you know, chicken imitation chicken pie made out of tofu and and with, uh, some kale or something on the side. <laughs>
0: Sounds like it's Macca's on the way home tomorrow then,
1: James. Yes, mate. Yeah, we'll sort that out tomorrow. <laughs> we'll get 20 nuggets of a little share box or something like that. Uh, Trevor, what I know you love doing a bit of ground-hopping. You're obviously going to Lewis and myself tomorrow. Um, what, what what, have you got coming up in the next couple of weeks?
0: FA Cup Saturday, as I said earlier, it's either either going to be Farnborough, Chipstead, or Chichester are going to get my money this week. Uh, I haven't really looked sort of beyond that. The October fixtures are out. Obviously, I did quite a lot trying to stay a bit local so I can work in and around games as well. Um, so the next uh, the next couple of days will be looking through the fixture list and seeing where I can book in my Saturdays and my Tuesdays.
1: Johnny, you've got um, Haven't Waterlooville. Have you managed to get yourself a director's ticket yet for that?
2: Not yet. We're still waiting to hear whether we're actually going to be allowed fans in there. I think there's a decision being made by the DCMS tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So we should find out more information then. I'll uh, obviously enter my name into the ballot for the for one of the director's tickets. Uh, but ultimately... You've got to stick mine
0: in as well, haven't you, now?
2: What's that, sorry? So you've got to stick mine in as well now, haven't you? That's what you mentioned earlier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got uh, Horsham at home to Bogney uh, tomorrow. Uh, Come on,
1: you Hornets.
2: And then, what have I got? I don't think I've got anything at the weekend unless I go to the game. And then I haven't got another home going I think, until the 6th of October.
1: I think I'm going to leave you with this. My next Worthing game after tomorrow is going to be Bishop's Stort for the Way, where Pete's going to be hitchhiking with me. And I can't wait for Peter to take me to his secret sausage shop. You want to know more about that? You better listen to the next Prim In on League podcast. But I think that's a little way to wrap up, isn't it, chaps? It's no, been a fantastic.
4: I don't, think, I don't think it is to me. I lucky. think we've
1: got to wait till next time because Pete loves his secret sausage shop. And if you don't know, I think Pete can explain it on the next podcast once we have visited. I think we'll have to get a selfie in front of it, Pete, before we go on air on Live. Our first full episode, it's been an action-packed episode, chaps. I really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, again, it makes me even more happy that this season, I'm really going to enjoy it as we go on. We'll get more close, we'll we'll get more of that bond and, you know, it's really worked well in this episode. Hopefully, Lee and Ian can join us on the next episode. But as you might find throughout the season, you might find different people hosting and different people on the show. But again, if you do want to get involved, chap, how can they get involved? Find us on
0: Twitter at the PNLP. Our email address is the pnlp at hotmail.com and you can also find us on Facebook as well.
1: And you're forgetting the gram. Don't forget the gram.
2: And the PNLP.
1: There there you go, there's gram lover over there, Johnny himself, (laughs) but that. Peter, anything else from you? you? Have you, any sponsorship inquiries? sponsorship inquiries oh here we go he ruins it at the end doesn't he if you've got any sponsorship inquiries please do contact us because we're quite oh. happy to have you on air a little donation towards our running costs would be fantastic as you remember us chaps all do it voluntarily though so we're doing this for the love of the non-league game if you've got anything you want to add please do get on our groups on facebook do tweet us and if you are a footballer that wants to get involved give us a shout we're hoping to line up another big name for the next episode but for myself james trevor johnny and peter Thank you for listening, and we look forward to welcoming you back to the Premier Non-League Podcast very soon. And one final thought, is it about time that you are PNLP?
3: This
2: is the Premier Non-League Podcast.